Hello and welcome to the Tide podcast, a podcast about type 1 diabetes and disordered eating. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tide podcast. This week I'm joined by Claire Pinder and Jackie Ryder and we're going to be talking about warning signs for type 1 diabetes and disordered eating, what to look out for and what you can do if you're worried about somebody. Um, So can I just ask you lovely ladies to introduce yourselves please, perhaps Claire if you go first. Hi my name's Claire Pinder and I work as a dietitian. Um, Most of my job is with the Dorset Eating Disorders Service, um, but at the moment I'm working one day a week for the Compassion Project. Hello, um, I'm Jackie Ryder. I'm a diabetes specialist nurse who works at um, the Diabetes Centre at the Bournemouth Hospital. I work in the adult services and most of my clinical work is around supporting people with type 1 diabetes, including self-management programmes, insulin pumps and other technologies. And for the last 18 months, I've been so privileged to be part of this Compassion Tide project, you know, raising awareness about this poorly understood and under-recognised mental health condition. So really excited about this. Brilliant. Thank you both. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with everybody. Um, So we'll dive right in. Warning signs. Um, From a healthcare perspective, which is your uh, very expert perspective, um, what what do you look out for? What might um, give you an indication that somebody is struggling uh, with their eating, potentially having disordered eating? Shall I start? Is that all right, Claire? Um, You know, from from a diabetes perspective, I think one of the the initial things might be possibly disengagement from services that they've been previously part of. And um, also maybe you can sense that the person is struggling a bit and maybe their glucose levels are not where they want them to be. Maybe they're really a sense of disappointment about all the effort they put into their diabetes and just not getting the results that they, they feel they should be getting despite their huge amount of effort. And that can lead in um, higher blood tests, the HbA1c and so on. Um, also, another big thing might be maybe not picking up their insulin prescriptions. You know, they're not using insulin in the same way or in the same amount as perhaps you might expect. And um, maybe just, a, you know, if they are coming to the services, just that feeling of not feeling good enough, not doing well enough and feeling um, really sort of disengaged and unmotivated towards putting the effort into their diabetes. Um, and I suppose another one might be we might notice, um, you know, that their, uh, their their clinical information might change, such as their their weight, for example. Um, and we get a lot of people with diabetes burnout and distress, so they might, uh, you know, express lots of concerns around um, their diabetes. I think um, picking up on something that you said, Jackie, I think, um, you know, sort of keeping an eye out for concerns around weight and shape. Um, So uh, people may uh, be starting to lose weight um, and it's not clear why that's happening. Or they may uh, be weighed and express concern about weight gain. Um, So if you notice that somebody is fearful of weight gain, then that would also be Um, a red flag. Um, So anything that really sort of flags up that 
concern about weight and shape um, would be absolutely a red flag. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you both. Um, a few of those things that you that you both mentioned, um, weight changes, things relating to diabetes distress, they are um, or they can be completely unrelated to an eating disorder. How, how, how can you tell? How can you tell if something is a red flag for disordered eating or just maybe part of um, diabetes burnout, diabetes stress or, or something else that's going on in their life? So there would be um, a very clear guide for that, and that would be um, the link with weight and shape concern. Um, so weight and shape concern is is sort of part of the core pathology of an eating disorder. Um, so if you do get somebody coming in who's got a high HbA1c, struggling with their diabetes distress, um, then it would absolutely be key to differentiate whether that's perhaps because um, of diabetes burnout or fear of needles or perhaps fear of hypoglycemia or whether it is actually the weight and shape concern that is causing them to start not giving their insulin and want to lose weight. So some gentle exploration around that topic um, would be the key thing to be thinking about um, if you see these red flags. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'd, I'd um, echo that, Claire. And that's something we've learned as a diabetes team a lot about from um, our um you know, Claire and the team at the Eating Disorders Service, because we will try and ask in a a compassionate and a a curious way about a bit more directly about how they feel about their weight and shape. Whereas perhaps in the past, um, we might have, if they'd just said, oh, I'm fine, we might have just accepted, oh, you're fine then. So we've we've learned to sort of gently, but, um, you know, nudge the conversation forward at a pace that the person's ready for. And it might not, that might take a few visits or, or several visits but it's definitely around the weight and the shape and the body body um, shape concerns I think um, you know as health professionals we can be quite concerned about asking these questions and I'm really interested Jackie in the point that you pick up that it might take you know one two three four appointments and I think um, that is so key that that trust needs to be built Um, and even if people are unable to share their experiences with you at the first appointment if you have concerns and you continue to build that trust then um, you know you're much more likely to be able to to get a deeper understanding of exactly what is underlying the the red flags that you're observing yeah that makes a lot of sense um, can it be quite difficult sometimes? Because I guess um, in society and, and in medicine a bit as a whole, there is a focus on losing weight often um, to support conditions, particularly not so much, I guess, in type 1 diabetes, but more in uh, type 2. But even in type 1 diabetes, there is that focus on kind of being healthy and, and the implicit um, suggestion there, I guess, is... is um, keeping your weight to quotation marks a healthy level how does that kind of interplay there 
Yeah, that's such an interesting one, Ella, that you've picked up on. And and it is sometimes very hard to tease apart, um, you know, is it anything to do with an eating disorder or eating disorder behaviours? And I think, um, again, it takes time and it takes trust. It's that trusting relationship and so that the person themselves can begin to pick up on what is causing them the the distress and and the behaviours that might seem comforting initially, but then as time progresses, they become, um, you know, they can become um, something that alienates them and keeps them away from their friends and and actually causes this this terrible distress in their life. So um, it can be very difficult with the weight. I mean, in the Diabetes Centre, we try not to focus on weight because some of the diabetes management these days is about eating what you want when you want in the amounts that you want but just learning how to match that with the the appropriate amount of insulin so we're not saying don't have this and don't do that and um but as you say society it's a big big issue isn't it with weight and obviously people with and without diabetes are both um part of that and yeah it's it's difficult claire do you have some other thoughts about um um, I think it's been really a really interesting journey for me, having previously been a dietitian who worked purely in physical health and then moving into eating disorder services. And that has been a real eye opener to me as to how us as healthcare professionals can have a real bias um, towards uh, towards weight and weight concern. And I think as health professionals, we need to be really careful about the language that we use when we are um, perhaps looking at somebody's waiting clinic um, and thinking very carefully about whether we are um, insinuating that um, weight gain is automatically a problem, for example. So I think we need to be reconsidering our conversations around weight um, within all healthcare settings and language is a key part of that. And I'm actually aware, um, I think it was only this week actually, there was something that I read about um, House of Commons, the Women's um, Equalities Committee and um, changing the perfect picture and it's it's thinking about um, health at every size rather than this focus on BMI which um, certainly when people do come to the diabetes one of the things that they do is have blood tests and so on but also they are weighed and this can be really difficult and and really anxiety provoking for for so many people Um, so I think maybe we're beginning to change perhaps the focus of that on the back of some of the things that Claire's highlighted. Yeah, I think the conversation needs to be more sophisticated um, and, you know, perhaps using weight as one parameter to to look at the person's whole health picture. Um, But I think because it's easy to take a weight, we get over focused on that um, and and we can inadvertently make judgments which can be very unhelpful for, for a lot of the population, but particularly for those who are vulnerable to developing an eating disorder. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think you've hit the he- nail on the head there, Claire. It's 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 about nuance, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, BMI is a notoriously simplistic measure um, and just simply doesn't take into account all the other measures of health that are just as important. Um, and I spoke uh, in the last podcast about 
my own discomfort with being weighed and, and how I will generally ask not to know the number because it puts me into a very kind of um, guilt related kind of headspace. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, um, even those without uh, health conditions or without disordered eating, you know, weight is such a um, such a commodity in our society that that does just cause problems um, across the board. I would even sort of query, you know, talking, hearing your experiences, Ella, you know, is, is there a need to weigh at every appointment? Um, you know, I, I think it's become so much a routine thing that we do in clinic. Um, but what is it adding to the clinical assessment? And I think, um, you know, it the, the, the weight information belongs to the person with diabetes and, you know, really questioning why, why are we taking these measures? What is the value in taking that measure? And absolutely, there may well be value in that. But it's also thinking about, do we need to be doing this? And I think, it, you know, um, across the UK, the diabetes um, centres, you know, I think we're, we're all having a bit of a shift with the way that the consultations take place. And some of those things will include the things that we do. Do we have to do weight and do we have to do some of these other things? And even, you know, that com- the way the conversation goes around um, before people say, oh, it was all about HbA1c. But now you might find that actually the HbA1c isn't even mentioned because actually there's other far more important things to to try and understand and get a feel um, for what's happening in that person's life and allow them to tell us what the important things are because everything else will follow if um, if they're feeling okay with themselves and they work with their own feelings and emotions yeah that's a really good point and I guess allowing um, the person almost to I guess lead that contact allows them to talk about the things that are bothering them to um, to bring up some of these issues that we've talked about and and I guess to give you guys as healthcare professionals a better feel for if there are any of these these red flags Mm, absolutely right so we've covered the healthcare perspective um what about if you have a loved one who you're concerned about what might the warning signs be for your child or your partner or um your family member with um with disordered eating um i think you know certain things that you might start to notice um we've been talking a lot about weight and shape so again you might start to notice a change in the person's attitude or behaviors around weight and shape um so you might notice that they start to comment that they're concerned about a part of their body, for example, um, and start to feel less confident in in their own body. So that would be something that um, I would absolutely be uh, worried about. Um, and leading on from that, potentially you might notice visible weight loss. Um, you know, if if things are... Um, If the change in behaviours around food have changed enough, then you will start to notice some weight loss as well. And in terms of noticing changes around food, um, again, you might notice perhaps that somebody is um, becoming over-focused on food. 
um, possibly eliminating specific food groups. Um, in my experience, something that um, is fairly common in people with type 1 diabetes who are struggling with an eating disorder um, is that they will have a fear around carbohydrates. So that can be particularly um, something that would raise a red flag for me. Um, but there are lots of other aspects around food as well. So it might be that they're reducing the number of types of foods that they're eating. So they're showing concerns about um, favourite foods, not wanting to include those anymore. Or they're starting to reduce the amount of food, you know, whereas they might have had something after a main meal that they're starting not to do that. Um, and particularly if people are starting to withdraw around social events that involve food. Um, for me, that would be um, absolutely something to be concerned about. Um, and the reason that would particularly concern me is that eating disorders can be very isolating. Um, and uh, it means that people become can become cut off um, from normal networks. So particularly if we notice people withdrawing from social events, um, that would raise concern for me. I don't know what other thoughts you've got, Jackie, around yeah. that. I mean, a lot, a lot of it as well um, would be similar, only only swapping perhaps the food or it might be and or the food for, for insulin and maybe their diabetes management. So, you know, people might people close to, to them might notice that maybe they're they don't seem to be giving the insulin in the way that they used to be giving insulin or maybe they've become more more withdrawn more more perhaps secretive or it may appear more secretive about their diabetes um and get very um you know not want to answer any any sort of queries or questions and i mean all of these things are quite normal for a lot of people who don't have an eating disorder but have type 1 diabetes that they want their diabetes to you know it's for themselves to deal with but i think when you when you notice other things that actually are out of character they're not they're their differences in behaviour. I think that's when it is worth, um, you know, broaching the subject with your loved one, your daughter, your son, your your husband, um, you know, friend or whoever, just to ask, you know, in a concerned way um, about, you know, are they worried about their insulin, their weight and how things are? Um, because it can be, as Claire said, very, very isolating. And it, it's, it often doesn't start off you know well it starts very slowly probably and then it, it builds up builds up and and before a person knows it they're in a sort of cycle of not giving the insulin and um often that's when perhaps people start thinking perhaps they won't go to clinic so perhaps that's another sort of thing if people are not attending their appointments anymore um and they're often fearful that they'll be told off if they tell tell the truth of what's going on which we hope nobody would do that no healthcare professional should should tell somebody off we'd just um, be thankful that they were able to to voice their concerns so that we could support them and walk alongside them um picking up on what you said about being withdrawn jackie i think as well that's something else that families may notice that um there's a change in in perhaps the way um someone presents with their mood so um they may um become more withdrawn they may be anxious about things that they weren't they didn't used to be anxious about 
So they might appear to, you might worry that they're perhaps um, low in mood. So I think for me, that would be another um, red flag that families might notice if there's a change in people's um, mood. Um, also as well, there can be change in people's thinking patterns. So they might become quite fixated, um, for example, on numbers um, or on uh, particular concepts around food or exercise. Um, and they can also perhaps express that um, they're, they're not good enough. Um, so that can also be a red flag for me that in some way, um, you know, they're, they're expressing to you that they're feeling underconfident in themselves and, and struggling within themselves. Um, so that's a more sort of psychological um, aspect to the red flags that people might see. And also bringing in the, the sort of physical side, um, you know, the, the physical um, aspects of a high glucose level are that people will start going to the wee, uh, to the toilet for a wee a lot more often in the night as well as during uh, several times during the day. Um, you know, maybe their skin's change because they're very dry and dehydrated and, um, you know, feeling very tired exhausted all the time and lacking that sort of motivation which are all sort of high um you know some of the response of a high glucose level so some of those physical things might be a sign especially if that's different from how the person's been before and would you say Jackie although um you know if people are uh showing distress around diabetes related tasks although that may not necessarily be an indicator um, for tide um, that families should be sort of you know concerned if they notice more yes. distress around taking insulin and uh, injections and that side of things Absolutely. Yes. I think that 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 gentle concern is, is just so important to express. And I, I know that from um, it's probably a little bit different with the young people, you know, the children whose parents are often doing the diabetes alongside them. But as you become um, a young adult, move into the adult services, sometimes it, it can be even more challenging to to just bring up something that feels a bit uncomfortable and you don't know whether it's a problem or not. But I would honestly honestly say that if you could maybe you could say something like you know I am a little bit worried about you I wonder if we could talk and if the person says no I don't want to say perhaps we could leave it for now and could we come back to it on Saturday or after school or after work and just express that concern but not in a way that's judgmental or critical or it's just a, a gentle concern that you might then be able to express your worries and then um, because often for the person with if they are struggling with an eating disorder or eating disordered thoughts insulin emission or restriction you know it can be just a way in because they might well want that support and it's just um it can be difficult it might feel like walking on eggshells initially but it is i would encourage that person the friend the family member to do that yeah that's really good advice i wanted to circle uh background if i may to um to I guess want a better word dieting behavior because because like like you guys both mentioned there um diabetes stress in and of itself might not be a sign of disordered eating but equally it can be um dieting and 
diet behavior is is rife in society you know people talk about the diets they're on and um atkins that restricts carbs terribly and um keto diet which does the same they're all talked about a lot um in society and within the within the diabetes community as well where do you draw on the line between that behavior being acceptable is it ever acceptable when when does it when does it raise a red red flag for um for eating disorders big question sorry that is such a good question ella um and i i feel we could almost do a podcast on on that topic on its own um i think the first thing that that i would say as an eating disorders dietitian is that that is one of the things that i have become acutely aware of as unhelpful um, for the whole population. Um, we know that um, you know dieting is is not an effective um, long-term strategy for health. And I spend a lot of time in, in the job that I do supporting people to find the middle ground with their eating. I think for me, one of the major problems with dieting is that it totally eliminates um, the sort of broader aspects of food. So the fact that food is social, the fact that food is enjoyable, the fact that food connects us with um, our family and our friends. And um, as soon as we start dieting, then we are disconnecting ourselves from those broader things around food. And that's particularly important when we come to talk about tide and eating disorders, because people who are more likely to develop eating disorders will have a predisposition to taking diets to an extreme and um, they will um, absolutely disconnect from food in a broader sense. And that's part of the isolation that goes along with tide and other eating disorders as well so um, i would say that um, the thing that makes dieting particularly um, challenging for people um, who are vulnerable to eating disorders um, is that they can take it to an extreme but i think if we think about the population as a whole there is an argument that it's unhelpful for all of us within society. That was going to be my next question. Is there any evidence to suggest that starting a diet can be kind of a slipping slope, for want of a better word, to an eating disorder? Yeah, absolutely. And for some people, if they're vulnerable to developing an eating disorder, um, then I would view it as potentially a gateway drug. That's that's how I would view it. Um, and so because we know that people with type 1 diabetes, that in itself can make people vulnerable to developing an eating disorder. Absolutely, for this group of the population, it would be something to have a conversation about um, if you're a family member or if you're a healthcare professional, um, it might be something that you want to 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 raise and, and have a chat about. Brilliant. That leads us nicely into um, the next bit, which is about what we can do to help these people. What what 
what do we do if we see these red flags in somebody? Um, should we start again with the, the healthcare professional perspective? Um, what, what can you do at the moment? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the first things would be about talking to the person with diabetes. It, it, you know, the person themselves knows what's happening within them. And actually to have that conversation, allow them to express themselves would be probably number one, I'd say, on the um, list. So ask questions, be curious, um, but be sensitive and be caring. Um, and I think there's no rush with this. It might take a long time. I think we've alluded to that already. It's not one appointment and we'll fix everything. And in fact, that's something actually that a lot of people say with um, eating disorders um, and those eating disorder thoughts. They don't want to be fixed. They're not expecting to be fixed. But what they would like is the support from people to, to walk alongside them, to support them in their own time. So there's no rush. They know it's not a quick, quick fix. Um, and I think, you know, language we've talked about that's super oh, we're, we're talking a lot about it in the diabetes world there's a lot of language which for some people with eating disordered thoughts it triggers some of these things and we haven't been very um sort of um well we're trying to get better at it put that put it that way as healthcare professionals and the way that we're doing that is by we're having people themselves telling us what works and what doesn't work, what is helpful and what isn't helpful. So we've learned a lot from people with lived experience of diabetes and eating disordered thoughts to, to learn how we can support them better. And language is a big part of that. Um, and I think one of the other things is if you don't know what to do um, as a healthcare professional, please seek seek you know get signposted to somebody who does i mean in our department we've got a super team a consultant who's leading this and we've got great forged great links with the eating disorders team but even if you weren't in a, a diabetes center who had links with an eating disorder team you know you can contact maybe us for example or you know contact your local eating disorders team because we should be working together for the whole benefit of the whole person I think um, the other thing that sort of strikes me when you're talking, Jackie, is, um, you know, about the walking alongside. And I think it can absolutely feel as a healthcare professional, um, we, we can all be drawn in by the, re by the writing reflex. And, you know, as healthcare professionals, we automatically want to solve everything here and now. And I think one of the main things that we've come to learn through the Compassion Project is that um, we, we need to resist that writing reflex um, and we need to be prepared to um, work with the person and not try and pull them along into a place where they're not yet ready to be. I think that does have to be balanced against um, safety. And, you know, if you find somebody um, is, you know, has high ketones, for example, then um, it might feel very difficult for us as healthcare professionals um, to sit alongside that and know what to do about that. Um, and I think that will be discussed a lot more in the next podcast. But I think something that we've learned is that even taking a small step to keep that person safe um, in that moment 
um, might be something that we need to be thinking about. So helping them to take just a very small dose of insulin um, to keep them safe, but certainly not pushing um, to perhaps get them to take the normal amount of insulin that they might do, that we might recommend under those circumstances. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Claire. And I think, um, you know, it's um, also one of the things where as healthcare professionals, we don't always have to focus on the numbers. You know, it's talking to the patient. Notice the changes and the huge amount of effort that a person puts into their diabetes rather than just always focusing on numbers of, of blood pressure and weight and blood tests and so on um, can be really helpful. And, um, yeah, I think Claire's writing reflex, that's just such an interesting one because especially as a nurse, we were we went I think most of us went into nursing thinking we can make people better and it's been a huge learning curve to think you know you can't make people better without them wanting to be better but you can support them on their journey to get to that place um so that's been huge a huge learning curve for for us mm. I think the other potential temptation as a healthcare professional is is to use scare tactics and um, I, I think um, it's so important to say that um, scare tactics are, are not something that are, that are going to be helpful. Um, the person who is struggling absolutely understands the risks um, and reiterating them isn't going to help, but it might make them less willing to come back and, and continue the conversation at the next appointment. Um, so it's having that understanding that um, we we need to keep away from that as a strategy for change. It's not helpful. And the, the reason that strategy is often used by healthcare professionals is because of their own inability to just sit back and take the time with the person and um, we went to a conference in the states I think it was last year and one of the people with diabetes and um, an eating disorder and insulin emission said you can use all the scare tactics in the world but I have heard them before I know them you don't need to keep telling them to me and uh, we you know that's something that I think it's probably a healthcare professional um, sort of feeling like they're doing something rather than and of course it's unhelpful rather than helpful yeah I want to circle back around to that um writing reflex I think that's that's so spot on I mean from my own eating disorder experience and and the experience of of, um people I've spoken to you know recovery isn't something that you just achieve like you don't you don't just recover from eating disorder and that's it it's never part of your life again I think most people that have struggled with eating disorders probably view themselves as in recovery continuously because it's it's always I don't want to say always a battle that's not quite the right word but but it's always something that you that, that that's there that's a part of you that you are working to to achieve um so I think that's a really that's a really important learning um on to the the family friend loved one perspective then what what can you do what can you do if you're worried and you've seen those warning signs in someone you care about I think maybe the first thing I would want to say about that is is that it is okay to raise your concerns. And I think people can be worried that they're going to make the problem worse or that somehow um, 
you know, it, it's going to, to escalate if if they acknowledge what they've noticed. Um, and I would want to say absolutely not. Um, it's fine to raise the concern. Um, a very good starting point is to say in a, a very gentle, non-judgmental way, um, when you've both got time um, to sit down and just explain to the person what you've noticed um, and, you know, explain that, that you do have concerns that you've noticed this and to open up a conversation from there. Um, I think the language that is used is really important. I think if we're worried, then we can um, perhaps go into those conversations with our anxiety. And I think it's important to go in very much with the aim of listening without judgment um, and encouraging the person to talk. Um, that, that would be the key thing that, that you would want to consider before having that conversation with the person. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Claire. And um, acknowledging their fears and um, your greatest skill will probably be just um, being patient, um, being kind, being, as Claire said, non-judgmental, and maybe even trying to learn a little bit about it. There's a lot of um, really good sort of literature and books and things online. And so maybe learning more about it and, um, and being there and being a, a support to that person. Mm, that's really good advice. I think alongside of that, it's similar to healthcare professionals as well, isn't it? That, you know, you, you shouldn't feel pressure to give advice or to solve the problem. Um, really, it's an opportunity to explore and understand what, what the person's experience is um, and to maybe find out, you know, is it something that the person is worried about? You know, would they want some help with this? Um, if if they do want some help, um, what would help? So that sort of gentle exploration around it, rather than feeling that 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 problem needs to be solved within that conversation. In that circumstance, if that person does want some help, would it be um, do you think appropriate for for you as the the person who cares for them to suggest perhaps speaking to their healthcare professional, their diabetes team, something like that? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we have had phone calls to the department from worried parents about maybe a, a daughter or a son who's maybe 20 or 30 or 40 even. And of course, there's a difficult thing with confidentiality. And um, and we'd always say, you know, do try and, try and have that conversation with them. But, you know, if they can't, please try and encourage your loved one, your friend, you know, to have that conversation with your diabetes team. Um, I think that's a really good point, Ella, that that's absolutely fundamental, yeah, to getting that support that they need. I think as well there's a possibility it might take a bit of time before the person's able to consider approaching um, their diabetes team and I think you know it it might be that it's about carrying on the conversation with you in the first instance and you know sort of revisiting that conversation and, and continuing to explore it together or it may be that they feel in the first instance um, that they would feel happier, you know, perhaps talking to a counselling service through work or through school. 
um, or perhaps an online um, forum, uh, something, for example, like BEAT, the Eating Disorders Charity. They have helplines. So there are opportunities for people to start to have that conversation, which may give them the confidence to go in and talk to their, their healthcare team about it. And in a way, I think, you know, it doesn't really matter how they get to, to do it, but to express it is going to be the first thing with whoever they feel most comfortable with. Because as we know, there's um, people tell us that there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of fear um, and embarrassment around it and a lot of secrecy. And, you know, like, oh, how can I tell somebody that? Because they obviously don't know. So to in, make that initial sort of um, open conversation with whoever they feel comfortable um, would be brilliant. And then if that supportive person could could then lead them to the diabetes services or, and or eating disorder services, that would be really, really helpful. Absolutely. I think um, the other thing I would add to that is that supporting someone can be stressful in itself. Um, and, you know, it, it's worth considering whether you yourself need some support. Um, so, you know, it may be that, that you might want to link in on a, a, a confidential helpline, for example, um, or, or have some counselling through work or, um, you know, just find a supportive friend that you can talk to um, so that that keeps you um as emotionally well as you can be which puts you in a good place to support the person with diabetes mm-hmm.